0: Welcome to the Front Proof Nation podcast. I'm Joseph Correa. I'm here with Hector Franco, both of Front Proof Media. We're here to talk a little boxing today. What's up, Hector?
1: Hey, what's going on, everybody out there? I'd like to thank everybody for listening, you know, to the very first episode of Front Proof Nation with very many more episodes to come. So, you know... Whenever we get started on here, go ahead and support us because we're going to go ahead and uh, just keep it moving forward here uh, with the boxing talk. And we're going to not just talk about boxing. We're going to talk about all kinds of different subjects.
0: Speaking of moving forward, Spence Porter, man, could anybody have expected a fight like that to take place this past weekend?
1: You know, I, I think that. The main thing with that fight, and I think there's a lot of fans out there who are looking at the scoring of the fight, and it's outweighing the fight itself. It was a great fight. No no matter how you want to slice it up, dice it up, and chop it up. Listen, it was the 11th unification fight in welterweight history, which sounds crazy to think of how old boxing is. It's only 11 unification fights? What? And uh, the fact that it was a great fight, uh, Staples Center, celebrities all over, and it lived up to the hype, and more so than the hype, because I know that before the fight, you know, Spence was as high as a 9-to-1 favorite over Porter. So, you know, Spence definitely, and Porter definitely showed improved when the the spotlight was on both of them.
0: Speaking of unification fights, so that's two in the welterweight division in... in Not not that long, because you had the Danny Garcia, Keith Thurman as well. So the welterweight division is really hot right now.
1: Absolutely. You know, welterweight, just like heavyweight, middleweight, you know, that's always been one of the top three divisions in the sport. It's always garnered, you know, a a lot of the biggest names in the sport, you know, and, and we know them, you know, Oscar De La Hoya, Floyd Mayweather, Sugar Ray Leonard, Tommy Hearns, Sugar Ray Robinson, and and the list goes on and on. So welterweight has always been prevalent in the sport of boxing. When the welterweight division is healthy, just like the heavyweight division, I think that more fans will tend to tune in.
0: So I want to get uh, it out in the open immediately. Who do you think won the fight? Because there's a lot of people saying that the wrong man won or that it should have been scored a draw. Um, I want to get your thoughts and then I'm going to share my thoughts on the fight as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I saw the fight in the movie theater, uh, here in, uh, Riverview, Florida, where I live at, um, at the GDX, um, with a lot of boxing fans there, you know, I thought I might be, uh, you know, there with a bunch of casual boxing fans, but to be honest, it was a lot of hardcore boxing fans there, um. As far as how I scored the fight, I had it 115-112 uh, for Spence. I had it really close. Um, you know, just looking back on my scorecard, there's a couple of rounds that I made a little note on where, you know, it, it was one of those where it could have went either way. You know, I, I kind of flipped a coin or split hairs. You know, and it was kind of a personal preference. And I think with scorecards um, like how they were where you had two judges who had it by one, 116, 111 for Spence, then another judge, 115, 112 for Porter. You're looking at rounds where it, it, you're not sure what's clean and what isn't clean and what's landing and what isn't landing. You know, Spence, excuse me, Porter tends to smother his own work. He, he still does that. And because he does that on the inside and on the short range where Spence, you know, we talk about Danny Garcia, you know, being a mid-range hooker. Errol Spence is a short-range hooker, where in the short range, he has the advantage, and that's, that's actually what caused the knockdown in the 11th round.
0: Uh, agreed. Um, but what else could Porter have done in that fight? He had to make it ugly. He had oh, yeah. to get in Spence's chest, because he wasn't going to outbox Spence from the outside. Um, he wasn't going to be mm-hmm. able to match the skill level um, although he did show some some pretty good boxing skills, especially against the ropes, uh, Spence absolutely. would would back him up, and he would spin and gain the advantage um, off of pivoting. and And I was very very impressed with his ability to do that against Spence uh, continuously. A-
1: absolutely, I think that if you look at the first round, uh, the first half of the seventh round, you know Porter definitely used his movement. And offset a lot of the things that Spence was trying to do, but I think at the end of the day, um, the fight was really close. Maybe it could have been scored a draw. I know that even on the live telecast, um, they went to Keith Thurman, I believe, in the sixth round, and Thurman had a you know from what he stated, the first five rounds scored for Porter. So you know he, he probably had Porter winning the fight. You know you only need seven rounds to win, and uh, if the knockdown was there, you know you know you kind of split that. Uh, he probably had it like 114, 113 for Porter, you know, something like that. So it, it was definitely a very close fight. I don't think either guy loses anything. I, I think that Porter, he's still a contender in the weight class. I mean, you, it, it was way closer than what people expected. It was one of the fights of the year. I think that with Pacquiao Thurman, Jose Ramirez, Maurice Hooker, and, you know, I know there's probably a couple out there that we're missing, but, you know, I can't speak highly enough of both fighters. They both put it on the line.
0: Yeah, um, I thought it was a a really close fight as well. I had it 115-113 for Spence. I thought the knockdown uh, was huge. I thought going in that, you know, there was no way the judges were going to give Porter anything. Uh, Probably based on exactly what you said, the fact that he smothers his work. So it's really hard to see what he's doing sometimes. Absolutely. You know, it doesn't look like he's as effective. Um, he's aggressive, and he has effective aggressiveness, but you you can't really see the work that he's doing sometimes. And you know where the judges are positioned. Sometimes it's difficult to see that type of work, uh, depending on where you're sitting. Hence the reason why one judge had it one way and two judges had it another. Um Another thing, um, Spence being the boogeyman, the guy that they're billing is the next thing, uh, you have to think going into the fight if it's close enough, he may get the nod. You know, um, not to pull politics here, but you know that's a real thing. So, yeah. once the knockdown happened, it was almost like the writing was on the wall. But I also, yeah. even though Porter fought. After the knockdown, you still could see a little bit of life was sucked out of him. Almost like he knew the writing was on the wall as well. That's a a great
1: point. And and I feel that way as well. Um, Although he he spoke about how he, he... I think might have been conscious of that, that he was feeling that way. So he spoke about how he had to keep his head up after that. A good example of that is uh, Timothy Bradley in the third fight with Manny Pacquiao. When he got knocked down by Pacquiao, he went back to the corner and like threw his hands on his legs and and looked really disappointed. Like he knew that, ah, man, the fight just got away from me here. And I think uh, Porter probably knew that. Um. You know, one of the biggest differences in, in controversy that about this fight, though, let, let's look at the box really quick. Um, you know. We have Spence landing 221 at a 745 total punches at a 29.7% connect rate. And we got Porter landing 172 at a 744 total total uh, landed punches at a 23.1% connect rate. The biggest difference here, and this is where some of the controversy and a lot of the debate is at, is in the body shots. Spence landed 113 body shots, Porter about 44 body shots. Now, the contention here, especially online, is that a lot of those shots shouldn't have counted because a lot of people saw them as low blows. Um, I know it's difficult, especially with a Porter fight, to know is because Porter didn't complain at all. I mean, some of those shots on the replays, you could see that they were clearly low. He didn't react at all. Fourth round, right? Yeah. That was
0: the fourth round where it was like seven mm-hmm. in a row. And you,
1: you know what? That was actually uh, Porter's best round. That was the round where they immediately posted that was the most punches ever landed on Spence in any round. And in fact, uh, Porter actually landed that 172 total punches is the most landed on Spence in any recorded fight by CompuBox.
0: You got to wonder, though, they're saying that CompuBox... He He landed 44 body shots. Right. I thought he did just as good to the body as Spence. I thought that. Or or maybe even landed more. He did more body work, it looked like.
1: I'll I'll give you a clue in on the live broadcast. Um, They went to uh, Porter's corner uh, after the first round, and you could hear Kenny Porter instructing him give him the body. Give him the body, give him, let him have those body shots so we can hit him to the head. So I think that might have been a conscious effort or a strategy of theirs to let Spence get on the inside, maybe lull him to thinking, you know, that it was safe to be on the inside with Porter and then hit him with shots, which worked, you know, on occasions, I think, throughout the fight and in pockets of the fight. I think that, you know, you you feel a little bit bad for Porter because, you know, you could see that he tried He tried so hard, you know, in that fight. He, he fought with all his heart, and it was just one knockdown just separated it. But, you know, for those, and I wrote about this before the fight. You could go back in the archives, ladies and gentlemen. Go back to before Spence fought Lamont Peterson. This boogeyman idea of Porter, or excuse me, of Spence in, in the welterweight division is a myth. The difference between good and great, It's not that big of a difference. And you could clearly see that. It's just a couple rounds and a knockdown.
0: And honestly, that that goes across all professional sports. So, you know, even in professional football, these teams, a bad team is not that much worse than a very good team. Um, It's it's a matter of mistakes. It's a matter of game plan. You know, little things, little things. (laughs) You mentioned the Timothy Bradley episode, you know, he knew he messed up he messed up so you know something like that can change the complexion of a fight whereas you have a Juan Manuel Marquez that was knocked down three times (laughs) and he didn't give a damn No, he got up
1: and damn near almost won that first fight it was a draw so so
0: you know it just that's the difference between good and great you know um how you handle adversity really
1: absolutely In, in fact um One thing I really, one quote I really loved of Spence's before the fight is uh, in their face-off. Porter asked Spence what the difference is between talent and skill, and Spence told him talent is, you know, God-given or or natural, and then skills is something that you work on, something that you constantly apply yourself to get better on. And I think that is something that, I think Spence is going to get better from this fight. I think that although a lot of people, and I know it's popular too, and, and I felt this way immediately after the fight, you know, and before the fight, you know, I, I would still favor Terrence Crawford over him. But it it's not like I don't want to see the fight. It's not like it's not going to be close. I'm not saying Crawford's going to blow him out. I just think that Crawford's footwork and his ability to be mobile in the pocket, I think is going to be the difference in a fight between the two. But, hey, I, I, that's, that is is because Joshua got stopped by Andy Ruiz. That is the most anticipated fight in the sport, bar none.
0: So let me add this. Also, Crawford adjusts like no one else in the game right now. He's he's like Mayweather in that sense. I mean, I'm not comparing the two fighters. They're different. But as far as their ability to adjust, and I've said this many, many times, mm -hmm. he can adjust and shut you down. So it's not like adjustments and, you know, he starts to squeak ahead no he shuts whatever you're doing well down like Mayweather used to do so that's something that you would have to account for um and also the fact that he's a switch hitter and and a a premier switch hitter the way he is he would take away the fact that Spence has the advantage of being a southpaw because he could match that you know what I mean he he could fight Southpaw himself just as well as he can Orthodox. So that's another thing to consider. Um, You answered my question because I was going to ask that because everybody wants to know what the opinion is, who beats who, and whatnot. But so after watching the Spence-Porter fight and seeing Spence's performance, picking up, the you know, becoming the unified welterweight champion, how does he fare against Keith Thurman, who also probably learned a great lesson in his defeat to Manny Pacquiao.
1: Absolutely. Um, In in fact, uh, I wrote about that as well. You know, Manny Pacquiao, before the fight with Keith Thurman, said that he wanted to inspire people with his performance. And I think that the person he might have inspired the most may have been Keith Thurman. You know, Pacquiao lost his first pay-per-view fight against Eric Morales and, you know, now, you know, 20 years or not 20 years, 15 years later or 14 years later, you know, uh, same thing happened to Keith Thurman. Um, I definitely think that for those that think that Spence would have just walked down uh, Thurman and uh, just – it's funny that narrative exists the same thing with Kovalev weak to the body right and you know hey Pacquiao uh Collazo, Porter they all heard Thurman to the bo- to the body but Colazo landed the perfect body shot perfect I-, I was there live I know you were too so it was beautifully placed and then you know Pacquiao and Porter those are elite fighters so I think ho- hopefully I-, I want Keith uh, when he comes back this time, so the narrative when he fights somebody and if he does lose and he or if he wins, you know, he's given full credit. I want him to, when he comes back, because, you know, if you don't know, he had surgery on his left hand. You could see it on the telecast. Um, and... I want him to come back after surgery, which he said around the summertime next year, and fight a couple more times, you know, because if he... I know he had to accept the Pacquiao fight because it's a Pacquiao fight. I'm going to accept that. That's money. That's pay-per-view, obviously. But if he really felt, and a lot of uh, his fans feel that he needed a couple more fights to get back in the groove, let's see that. Even if if it's against lower competition, you know. So I I definitely want to see Thurman Spence in the future, but I want to see Thurman, you know, get in there and and knock off all the rust, get all the injury bugs out of there. And, you know, hopefully he can. And I I think that'll be a competitive fight. There's no way Spence is going to blow through Keith Thurman like he did Chris Algieri or Leonard Bundu, these guys. You know, that narrative, I think Sean Porter proved that that's a false narrative.
0: Yeah, and, you know... If you go back and watch that Keith Thurman Manny Pacquiao fight, yeah. the second half of the fight, he really beat Manny it's, up. It's like the what they have in the car mirrors:
1: things are closer than they may appear. Yeah, I, he, I'll admit that. You know, uh, I was there live for that fight, uh, covering it, and, uh, and you know, in the building at the MGM Grand for Front Proof Media, and you know, watching the fight, you know. It, the thing is, uh, when you're in that stadium, you almost fall for it because, you know, we're, we're media. You know, I'm, I wasn't cheering for Spence or excuse me, I wasn't cheering for Pacquiao or Thurman. But that first round, when Pacquiao knocked Thurman down, it was like an explosion in the arena where it's like, oh, Whoa. man, there's no like way Pacquiao. Yeah, it was like, yo, oh, Pacquiao's back. He still got it. And you almost wanted him to, to beat Thurman and then slowly slowly you see the comeback. I know you mentioned, um I think when we talked about this, uh, like the third round you saw, or the fourth round, I think you fourth told round. me. Uh, You know, slow comeback. And then luckily I think Manny had that, uh you know, eighth, tenth. You know, he did, I think the eighth was close. Tenth round he won because he hurt him to the body. He needed that uh, to pull out that fight. But, you know, th- that's another one of those fights where the split decision was probably the right way to go. You know, you had somebody who had Keith... Coming all the way back, and then other two judges who had Manny, uh, you know, clearly winning. And talk about Manny. Is.
0: Manny's condition in that post-fight press conference. Ah,
1: that's correct. Uh, you know, Manny's Manny did look um, beat up. Uh, he did say that uh, it was the most hurt he had been since the Margarito fight, um, and, and I know that after the Broner fight as well. There, there was some issues with his eye um, as well. You know, I don't know the the total extent of that, but. Keith looked, you know, and you know more about this as well since you fought before, that um, a lot of Keith's marks on his face were from blocking punches. You know, they were from the gloves kind of. Clearly, and, and that's scraping. Not, you know, I just want to make this clear. We're not taking anything away from Manny Pacquiao's victory because at the end of the day, whether Keith Thurman was hurt, whether Keith Thurman wasn't as active, he was still 30, Manny Pacquiao was 40, Manny Pacquiao has 70-plus fights, Keith Thurman was supposed to win that fight, you know, at the end of the day. He was supposed to put away the dude that, because uh, this is a multi-generational dude. I mean, the guys that Pacquiao has fought are all retired. You know, Eric Morales, Marco Antonio Barrera, Marquez, De La Hoya, Mayweather, Cotto. Those guys are all retired. So, in in the fact, he's going to fight next year. It's going to be the 90s, the 2000s, 2010s. There's four decades this man has fought.
0: Do you think he'll fight next year for real? Pacquiao. um, I mean, he doesn't need to. He he he's he's accomplished everything
1: because listen, Manny Pacquiao has so many records that he's broken, and now he's the oldest fighter to ever win a welterweight belt. It's kind of like you know he got a great fight, he won. It's probably a good time to to hang him up, just like Marquez probably should have hung it up after he knocked out Manny, because that was you know the perfect shot, perfect victory over his main rival, but. At the end of the day there's still money on the table there's still money even if it's mikey garcia if it's amir khan in dubai amir khan's been running his mouth for doesn't doesn't he always decade. though he's know, like the weak chin
0: version of adrian broner like he just keeps getting fights yeah, yeah you know what i mean yeah. he can lose and lose and lose and lose because amir khan seems to lose the top-level fights, when he fights top-level competition, and then he'll pull out one that you might think he he would lose or be knocked out in, so he keeps getting fights. And I'll
1: tell you why I think that happens. Amir Khan is one of those guys where his talent is immense. He's got that hand speed. The chin is his his definite, you know, his Nemesis. proverbial Achilles heel, yeah. but um, he didn't stay active. When he loses, he doesn't come back and, and fight, you know, guys to hone his skills. He comes back, you know, like the Canelo fight. He fought Canelo, I believe, after he fought Chris Algieri. And that was like a year between those fights. It, Amir Khan, to me, is one of those guys that just did not hone his skills enough to become better. I think he's one of those guys we will look back in his career and say, man, he could have been a lot better than what he was. Uh, but you know, speaking of that though, um, uh, being better than we what we may think they are, you know, we got a fight coming up this week, and I'd like to give a shout out to our boy, uh, our, our contributing photographer, Jose Miranda. You know, check him out, uh, JMJ Cinematics. He was actually in the building for us at the Staples Center, uh, taking shots for Spence Porter, and he'll be at Madison Square Garden this upcoming weekend for the vacant. IBF middleweight championship fight between Gennady, Triple G Golovkin and uh, Sergei Derevyanchenko. Now you know just looking at this fight it it does seem um, you know a a bit of a letdown possibly for Golovkin um, although it's for a title you know you got Canelo fighting Daniel Jacobs and then fighting Kovalev and he's coming back and he fought Steve Rolls as a comeback earlier this year now Derevyanchenko. Do you think that there might be any kind of lack of motivation, or you know, not being able to get up for this kind of fight for Golovkin.
0: Absolutely not, because no. he's been making statements. Now yeah. we all know <laughs> yeah. how fa- fighters do; they make statements. He said he's actually scared of he this fight. Yeah. Um, you yeah. never hear him say something like that. Not now at all. you don't not at know all. if it's something that he's just doing to build up the fight, because uh, perhaps there is a lack of interest in this fight but um he did say that and the fighter across the ring from him is no slouch
1: not at all i mean he he's the professional experience is definitely different uh between the two you know we got derevianchenko 13 and 1 10 knockouts you know he, he's fought some good fighters, Daniel Jacobs, Jack Colquay, who's probably best known for fighting Demetrius andre in a close fight. Toriano Johnson But he, him. he
0: does have a deep amateur background. Oh, yeah.
1: Um, he's, he's actually a former um, European championship gold medalist in 2001, 2002, multiple tournaments. He actually fought... In the World Series of Boxing, which uh, which allows amateur fighters to fight, I believe in three to five round professional bouts without it affecting their amateur record. He actually went twenty two and one, so I mean, you know, that, that's a lot of uh, additional fights there. So he's not as inexperienced as it seems between the two. Um, you know, just looking at Triple G, this is going to be a seventh fight at Madison Square Garden, fifth in the big room. Um, You know, this is going to be Derevianchenko's first first fight in the big room. Yeah. You know, he fought Daniel Jacobs, uh, but that was in the theater. You know, I've covered two fights at Madison Square Garden, Golovkin Jacobs, and uh, lomachenko Lenaris and... Honestly, if somebody from New York is listening, I still don't understand that building. It's got like three arenas and one giant building. You know, you take an elevator to the third floor. Somehow you're in the uh, big room that fits 20,000 people. Take an elevator down to the first. It's the 5,000 theater, Hulu theater room. You know, it was a bit confusing. It's an illusion, It's an (laughs) (laughs) illusion. That's what I'm saying. It was like an illusion there, man. I didn't know what was going on, but... I'm excited for the fight. Um, you know, anytime Triple G fights, you know, they're, they're usually exciting fights. He's never really in boring contests. I think one thing I love about Triple G is that he, he has something for everybody. You know, he can mix up the boxing skill. We saw um, a lot in the second portion of the Canelo fight. And then, uh, of course, the David Lemieux fight is probably the most prevalent one where he, he showed his ability to box and use his, utilize his jab. And, you know, he probably, him and Kovalev, uh, but I would say his is better. I think he probably has the best jab in the sport, at least top five. I would yeah, say at least top five for pretty sure. Pretty
0: solid jab and, and his competitive spirit. Oh yeah. Um oh, yeah. is what sets him apart. You know, we've been told personally that, you know, his competitive spirit and confidence in himself is only rivaled by Terrence Crawford. So that's, ah, that's right. You know, that's, that's right. saying yeah. a lot because um who we were told by deals with fighters a lot and oh yeah up close you up close. know yeah. um and that's saying a lot and you can see it you can see that triple g he goes in there and he has one mission and and he's going to seek and destroy oh yeah um with roles he kind of took his time new trainer jonathan banks so you know he kind of took his time box but when it was time to get him out of there that's what he did and and he did it in a fashion that was unconventional he threw a hook to the top of the head oh yeah and you know, switch
1: southpaw at the last second, he, hit him with a left hand. Yeah,
0: the oh, only God. person I've seen throw those in recent years was Marcos Maidana. <laughs> he, he, but yeah. Maidana's wasn't as pretty. No, like, not like, this not was all. plotted. You oh, know, yeah. uh, Maidana, that's just how he threw punches. Hey, you know what? Maybe he saw Maidana
1: do it, and everybody else was like, man, he don't know how to throw a punch. And like, Golovkin know. was like, mm, I think I'm Golovkin take that.
0: is just so uh, versed in. In the ring. He's, He's got is. so I mean, much experience that 345
1: he. 345 amateur fight wins with just five losses. Correct. It's, you know, the guy's experience is telling. Um It does, you know, we'll see how long uh, we can keep, he can keep this going. You know, personally, if a Canelo fight isn't going to happen in the near future. It's although not. I think it, it could. I mean, you know, if the zone puts pressure on both, but. You know, it it is what it is with that. You know, if I was Triple G, you know, a guy doesn't want to fight you, just move on,
0: you know? I mean, we don't even know where Canelo's going to fight. This Ah, dude, he's about to fight Kovalev, uh, which we could just move right into that uh, right after this. Um, Give me your prediction on the Triple G-Darevachenko fight. Who do you think wins and and why? I'm going to roll with Triple G just based on
1: experience um, here and his jab. I, I think that... Derevianchenko, in a lot of ways, uh, for for me at least, you know, the Jacobs fight was really close between him and. So was Triple G's fight with Jacobs. I know I had Triple G winning, you had Jacobs winning that fight. Yeah. So that's that's probably a fight that should have been a draw. Yeah. You know? Well, um,
0: I had it 115, 113. Um, but I also could see the draw. Yeah, and I close. also could see the triple G win. So yeah. it was that close. It was, it was really close. It was a coin flip. You exactly. know what I mean? I mean there you it, can't argue with with any decision there.
1: Not not at all. It was very close. Closer um, than
0: the Canelo Triple G one, tell you that.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Um, And (laughs) yeah, I think that that particular fight, the first one, and you know, we we don't need to go into that when people know about the Adelaide Bird scorecard, you know, which was complete and utter trash. But, you know, as far as Triple G, Derevyanchenko, uh, I I would go with Triple G. I I feel like his experience will likely lead him to win. Although I will say this, I do not think he'll stop him. I I think it's going to be like the Jacobs fight where it will be close. But I see him winning a unanimous decision. Um, Dervianchenko, however, he's the younger fighter uh, at 33 versus Golovkin's 37. He's strong. Um, he's very. He looks very strong and sturdy. And also, one thing is, um, Dervianchenko's trainer, if I'm not mistaken, is Andre Rosier, who trains Daniel Jacobs. I'm not sure what they did when those two fought. Um, you know, I forgot exactly. But that's a guy who knows. Golovkin as well you know maybe he didn't come out with the official victory but it was close enough so it's going to be a very interesting fight I think it's going to be tactical you're going to see two elite uh, pugilists in there but I, I see Triple G pulling it out just you know based on his experience and his jab and I think that one thing that Jonathan Banks is trying to implement more on Golovkin is to let his hands go a bit more which he did it in most of the time in the last half of the fight against Canelo in both fights where he started to let his hands go more, use his jab more, you know, make Canelo pay for, you know, any kind of missteps that he took with attempting to counter. So I'm looking forward to it, you know, any time a fight like this happens at the Garden, you know, and I, I hope that from this point uh, we'll see Golovkin in with other world champions. Hopefully this will lead to fights with Andre, but you know, the one man odd out and, and just like Crawford is kind of out of the mix uh, with the welterweight division um, with, you know, the whole division with the PBC and top rank is Jamal Charlo, who unfortunately for him, although I, I believe he's now the official WBC middleweight champion because they elevated Canelo to the franchise champion. We'll get into a little bit more about uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, sanctioning organizations in just show. a second here. But, um, you know, I think that triple g after this you know hopefully we'll we'll see a a lot more unification bouts you know with some of the other top middleweights from this point forward
0: yeah um you know with jonathan banks just to touch on that i i see he's not only making triple g uh think about letting his hands go a little more but there's more of a flow so he's emphasizing i think Hey, you're powerful regardless. You don't have to really sit down on everything. You know, you can let your hands go in combinations. You're going to hurt guys regardless because you just punch hard naturally. So let it flow. That's what it looked like. And that's what it looked like they were kind of ironing out in the rolls fight before the knockout. Like everybody thought that it was a lackluster performance. Prior to the knockout, they were like, what's going on? This guy's getting Triple G and whatnot. But I think he was just – he didn't feel threatened. Yeah. And he was ironing out, you know, the new game plan.
1: We, we got to remember, too, that boxing is a game of chess, not checkers, where it's, it's a strategy in there. There's sometimes there's going to be some rounds where you want to lull a guy – into to thinking that like a, a perfect example, you know, we spoke about Marquez Pacquiao earlier, you know, uh, leading up to the first knockdown in their fourth fight, Marquez went to the body and then fainted like he was going to go to the body again, but got caught him with a right hand over the top, which dropped Pacquiao. So you can lull guys with certain rounds and, and switch things up, you know, as a strategy in a fight. So, you know, it, it's not as black and white in, in the sport of boxing as it may seem from the outside
0: yeah you're absolutely right so um another fight on the horizon we got Canelo Kovalev um
1: yeah yeah and, and on uh, in November we got that coming up in, uh, at the MGM Grand in uh, Las Vegas if I'm not mistaken yeah
0: and you know a lot of people are already writing Kovalev off and and that's crazy because Kovalev, is the naturally bigger guy. And we're not talking Rocky Fielding naturally bigger. We're talking about a naturally bigger, stronger guy who was at one time a pound for pound uh, fighter. Yeah. You know, so the only person to really dominate him was Andre Ward. In, in the second fight, the, the first fight, Andre made the adjustments and kind of took over. But uh, the second fight was total domination pretty much. Uh, but, you know, his other loss, uh, that wasn't a dominating victory. I mean, he I think he took the fight maybe not as seriously as he could have. And and lost.
1: Yeah, that uh and he came back, you know, that was Eladir Alvarez, Correct. so he lost to. I think he stopped him in the seventh. Um, and he came back and just simply outboxed him Correct. in the rematch. Um Kovalev is definitely underrated the narrative because of the second Andre Ward fight. And in, in the first fight first fight between the two, you know, that was definitely controversial that was one of those fights that split the boxing world where a large majority of the fans and pundits had Kovalev winning but there was always a section that had Ward winning as well you know and I think the judges if I'm not mistaken had that fight by like a point for Ward so it wasn't even like a far spread and then the second fight the narrative there and and listen we that was a stoppage victory for Ward, but that was another one of those where it came with question marks. Looking back on it, you know, there was a lot of low blows that were landed on Kovalev in that fight. And I think that there was a lot of good body shots as well that's, that set that up. And since Canelo, technically looking at it from a CompuBox perspective, and you could just see it, you know, just in the ring, he is the premier body puncher in the sport of boxing. But against Golovkin, he is... We want, we can debate the scoring of the second fight all day and all night. But what we can't debate is that Golovkin's jab was effective in both fights. And, and Kovalev, Kovalev has a great jab. Kovalev has a great jab. But along with that great jab, he's bigger. He's got the bigger reach. And we we, we can already see the narrative of the fight. Canelo is going to want to get up close, have this fight be in the short to mid-range Kovalev is going to want this fight fought in the long distance range to set up his jab, to set up right hands possibly. And Kovalev hasn't utilized this as a lot. I think he utilized it more against Hopkins, you know, that was 5 years ago though, is you know, jab into the body, right hands to the body. You know, utilize that against Canelo. You uh, have
0: to because yeah. Canelo in recent years um has tremendous Upper body movement. Oh, he has stone feet. He's he's kind of flat footed, right? But his upper body movement, uh, his defense up top is great. Oh yeah, he 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 has exceptional defense with moving his upper body. So jabbing to the the body, jabbing to the body will neutralize a lot of that. And and Kovalev definitely is going to have to utilize that to get Canelo where he wants him because. Canelo being the smaller man is going to be pretty slippery for Kovalev.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, it, could be in a, it could be a disadvantage um, for the taller fighter when you're fighting a shorter fighter sometimes because there's going to be moments, I think, when they're on the inside and Kovalev is going to want to create space to get punches off and Canelo's not going to need that space to get those punches off. So Correct. And, and, I can definitely see Canelo hurting Kovalev, but I, I just... I don't see the narrative where... And I know a lot of that has likely been painted by some of the broadcasting, of, especially in Kovalev's fight with Anthony Yard, you know. Um, and Andre Ward, he's a great broadcaster, you know, commentator. I, I can't take that away from him, just like I can't take away any of his accomplishments in the ring. But when he's... Colin Kovalev fights it kind of feels like he has that chip on his shoulder a little bit you know some of the comments he's made on there but he's he's the one who has really painted that narrative that Kovalev um, physically isn't that
0: strong and you know
1: at the end of the day he would know he was in the ring with him he would know more than anybody else
0: he would know but he's Kovalev size. Ah, good point. You know good what I point. mean. Yeah, Canelo right. is right. not. Yes, Canelo's walk around weight because people are going to argue that. Yes, he is. You know, his walk around weight is different though. Let's
1: let's, uh, let's let's talk about this real quick. I mean, to interrupt you, but speaking of Andre Ward, so if Canelo beats Kovalev, you think? Now I know Canelo. L- listen, ladies and gentlemen, I don't think. Canelo, I'm not saying Canelo's going to call out Andre Ward because I don't think that would happen. But I think. Andre Ward might be enticed to come out of retirement. He, he says that was no. somehow on the table. You don't he think says he no.
0: No, he says no. I saw a video. Oh, somebody asked got, about yeah, that. someone okay. got a post fight video, uh, of Andre Ward and Andre Ward said that he, he wouldn't be interested in that. No, nah, not at this no, time. No, okay. because he says he doesn't need the money because that's All what, right. that's what they were trying to entice the answer with. Like, Hey, uh, you know, this is the biggest money fight to be made. Yeah. I'm not so sure about that. In terms of fighting Canelo, yes, oh, yeah, because award, he's a he's sure. a cash cow, but Ward, I don't know, you know, although hardcore fans would love that fight, sure. I don't know yeah. how much casual fans and unfortunately, yeah. casual fans are the ones who are buying the pay-per-views. Exactly. The ones who are, you know, sitting their asses in the seats. That's that's what happens. So I don't know. There's other fights out there to be made. And if Ward's not interested or if he's just not overly interested, like he would have for me, he would have to show uh, a lot of excitement for that fight and really get up for that fight for me to want to really be interested in it. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I'd love to see it as a boxing fan. But, you know, there's other fights to be made. And if. Canelo can beat Kovalev. I mean, where does Canelo go? Is he going to stay at light heavyweight? Is he going to go to super middleweight? Is he going to be a middleweight? We don't know. So many
1: fights for him. I mean, you have Callum Smith for him at super middleweight. Um, Which, that
0: hey, that's a tough fight.
1: David Benavidez, uh, Gilberto... um, Goberto Ramirez, I believe, as well, although I think he moved up to light heavyweight. But that's another big fight, you know, two Mexicans standing off. Um, and then back at middleweight, man. He's, it, Canelo has so many options that, you know, it's almost, it's not fair because he, he doesn't have to do, he doesn't have to adhere to anybody. It's kind of like, you feel like fighting Kovalev? Yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's set it up. And that's probably how this fight was
0: made. Speaking of not fair, so... A lot of fans are are upset about the Kovalev decision, like the decision to fight Kovalev, and they're saying, you know, um, that that's a soft touch. Like we, like I began this yeah. segment, um, they they feel like it's an easy fight because Kovalev's done. They're not looking at the the obvious advantages that are there for Kovalev. I'm not saying Kovalev's the better fighter, um, mm-hmm. but Give Canelo a break. This dude has fought everybody.
1: Yeah, he definitely, um, if you look at his resume. Aside from it's, Manny Pacquiao. It's crazy. Yeah. Aside
0: from Manny Pacquiao, there's not another active fighter in boxing that has a resume like Canelo Alvarez. No, and
1: it's and it's not close. I mean, you just look at his resume just down the line. You know, you got um. You know, Austin Trout, Eris Lara, Miguel Cotto, Golovkin, uh, Floyd Mayweather. You know, got a lot of guys on his resume that are Hall of Famers. Triple so, G twice. Yeah. Danny Jacobs. Danny Jacobs, man. Um, you know, the guy is, is a beast. Um, I, I think that the one thing, though, that and, you know, Canelo's always going to get criticized uh, about this, is that, you know, he won his first world title against Matthew Hatton against a welterweight. You know, they kind of set that up for him to beat Fernando Vargas's record. But and you, and you know you have the scorecards, you know against Lara, against Austin Trout, Mayweather, Golovkin, where a lot of these scorecards are, are are in his favor wide. And I think that will always be something that people will look at with Canelo and I think that's one of the reasons why Canelo might not be in those conversations uh with Terence Crawford and Lomachenko and Inoue and um and uh, Errol Spence is the you know one of the top fighters pound for pound, but definitely he is. He's definitely one of the best in the world, and his resume you know that no active fighter in their prime can touch it whatsoever.
0: Personally, I think if he's not number one, he has to be number two pound for pound. You would
1: put him up there as Abs- far as like number absolutely. two, absolutely
0: yeah. because you know yeah, there's some decisions that should have gone the other way, but. What fighter doesn't have a fight or two on their resume that could have gone the other way? There's there's just about every fighter has that. Yeah. I mean, shit. Spence Porter. You Spence could Porter. say you could yeah. say one way or the other. Yeah.
1: People could go back and be like, well, you know, I thought uh Porter should have got Pacquiao
0: Marquez. Oh,
1: you know what? That those fights really, you know, you look back on them, those first three fights were probably all draws. Th- and th- that's what I'm and saying. Marquez so got the knockout, so he won.
0: <laughs> so you know, for fans to like discredit all the work he's put yeah. in, that's, yeah, that's I don't think that's yeah. fair because at the end of the day. Who else is fighting all these elite level fighters?
1: Yeah, I mean, they're supposed
0: yeah. to be close fights. Yeah, you're right. They're elite
1: dudes. And you know what? I wouldn't say that um, fights like the law. I don't think the Lara fight was a robbery, you know, or anything like that. I just know one of the scorecards there was kind of outrageous. You know, as per usual, there's always one dude who uh, or one judge that falls in love with Canelo or something, you know, and, and gives him a, a pretty wide scorecard. But you're right. At the end of the day, when you you still have to go in the ring and fight. You still have to go in the ring and fight. Fights aren't one on paper, the one in the ring. So definitely Canelo deserves that respect as one of the best in the world. But you know what? At the end of the day, being pound for pound doesn't get you a bigger check. Being known gets you a bigger check. So I, I don't think that's something that is a concern of Alvarez's. You know, that's something that, uh, you know, us, you know, journalists, media members, you know, fans. We'll, we'll fans, you know, we'll debate over, you know, until, you know, until the end of time. But, you know, Canelo Alvarez has definitely stamped himself, you know, as one of the best fighters from Mexico. And, you know, if he beats Kovalev, he'll have joined, um, I believe, Jorge Arce, Eric Morales, Juan Romero Marquez as the only fighters from Mexico to win four titles in four divisions. Although, um, no, I think I'm missing Mikey Garcia there. As well, I know he's a four-division champ as well, but speaking...
0: I got a question for you. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I, got, I got a real, cru- uh, real question for you. What's up? You want a championship belt? Do I want a championship belt? Yeah. Hell
1: yeah, I want a championship
0: belt. The What's WBA right? <laughs> currently has 42 title holders in 17 divisions. What do you make of that? I... Man,
1: the WBA, it's its ridiculous. Um, the WBA is a... Li- listen, we got interim, we got regular, and we got super champions. Now, luckily, at welterweight, Pacquiao Thurman, you know, Manny Pacquiao is now the full undisputed WBA world champion. But you go back down to just this weekend, Leo Santa Cruz is going to move up to fight Miguel Flores for the WBA super featherweight title. But didn't Gervonta Davis just vacate that title, but wait, he vacated it, but isn't Andrew Cancio also the WBA Super Featherweight Champion? It's
0: so hard what to keep up with Is it?
1: going on with the WBA where we're going to have that many title holders per division? Now, I'm not privy to if the regular champion or the super champion have to pay the same sanctioning fee, but at the end of the day, It makes it to where the sport of boxing looks. I'm not saying that it is or the WBA is being crooked, but it has the, it creates that perception that things are crooked in the sport of boxing when you have a, when you have one sanctioning organization, the WBA, and the WBA is, along with the WBC, aren't they the oldest in boxing? You know, I think the IBF became prevalent in the 80s and probably the late 80s. And then the WBO, you know, got prevalent with Oscar De La Hoya, Marco Antonio Barrera, and Nassim Hamed in the 2000s. You know, that wasn't even looked at as a, as a real championship belt until maybe the 90s. You know, like that heavyweight too, Ray Mercer and things. So... We don't need another. We don't need another belt, y'all. We, we got four. I'm cool with four. You know, WBA need, needs to relax, and thankfully, somebody other than fans and media actually spoke up about this. Um, WBO president um, Francisco um, Paco Vargasen, uh, Paco Vacarsel actually spoke out about this on Twitter. I'm gonna read out exactly uh, what he said. Uh, now he sent out a message to. The WBA president, Gilberto Mendoza. So I'm just going to read out his tweets right here verbatim here for us. So my friend, Gilberto Mendoza Jr. runs the WBA as he sees it. What I don't understand is the complacency of certain boxing writers and TV commentators when it comes to the 42 so-called champions that the WBA currently has in 17 divisions, which have been designated as super, regular, interim, and gold. See, I didn't even know. About the gold one. Yeah. Uh, for example, they currently have four champions in the heavyweight division. I don't understand it, and I'm not going to keep quiet about it either. Now, that that is true, and I think that maybe, you know, media members shouldn't keep quiet about it either. You know, the WBA, but...
0: And, you know, he took aim at the WBC as well a few weeks ago. Uh, um, yeah. And... He really didn't like their decision to create um, like the Mayan belts, the commemorative Mayan belts, the ones that were given out for the Tyson Fury-Otto Wallin yeah. uh, fight yeah. um, and the Jaime Munguia fight with Patrick Alati.
1: And I think they did that with uh, like Triple G, Canelo, and then the Cotto-Canelo fight too. They had well, like some belt. what his for.
0: argument was, neither Fury-Wallin or Munguia-Elati Alati had anything to do with the WBC,
1: mm-hmm.
0: so you know he's right in that sense. Like, why? I mean, the WBA is a little bit different because WBC these are commemorative belts, so they don't—they're more like trophies. Yeah, like you for won, the winner of that event. Yes. Yeah. So you know, as far as I'm concerned, I I can see that um, being awarded. Yeah, I don't. I don't mind that for I don't some either. events. Like, WBA's giving yeah. out belts, these are considered champions. Yeah. And they're they're collecting, you know, sanctioning fees on these belts. So yeah. um it is a little puzzling to have forty two belts. That's it,
1: it's it's overboard. Or forty two champions. It's, that's it's definitely overboard. You know, the goal is to have seventeen champions over seventeen weight classes. They've that. more than doubled that. So you would think that we would that would lead to more unification fights but they they didn't even order Gravante Davis to fight Andrew Cancio. You know, it, and that's probably something prevalent in multiple weight classes with them. So if you're going to have multiple champions in weight classes, why aren't you ordering them to fight each other so we can clear that up? And you know, they might not be doing that because they might be collecting those sanctioning fees.
0: Man, that's going to make the next episode Very, very interesting because um, I want to talk about Dana White entering boxing. Interesting. Knowing that the UFC only has one belt per, well, no, they have the interim belts now. Uh, They didn't for a long time. They had one champion.
1: But they use that when they need to. Like when a guy's injured for a while, it can't make a title defense. So it makes sense sometimes for them to have
0: that. So it'll be interesting just to touch on that. Yeah. Um, And perhaps we can even get our MMA editor, Ed Carbajal, on the episode and get his thoughts. Absolutely. uh, Being that, you know, he knows... MMA and the UFC in and out and get his thoughts on the crossover into boxing. Now, I know Dana White got his start in boxing. Yeah. So it's he's not a like boxing he's, fan. Yeah. He's yeah. not totally unfamiliar with the sport, but I'm curious how he's going to enter the shark pool.
1: Yeah, I am definitely curious. I mean, I don't know if you remember last year, golden boy uh, played its hand in MMA where they hosted that Tito Ortiz, Didn't Chuck go Liddell too well. did not go too well. So, We'll see what uh, Dina White has to do. He's definitely a good promoter. I think that the one thing that UFC does um, over boxing is just, just look at their YouTube channel. Look at how many videos, how many post fights, how many, or excuse me, not post fights, how many of these pre fight 24 7 kind of videos they have. I'll give you an example. Spence Porter was really good promotion. None of those, and apparently there were four episodes of that fight camp series that they did. They only posted one episode, and it was only six minutes on their YouTube channel. And now that fight still did well. I'm not saying that that you know, was the cause of maybe more or less pay-per-view numbers, but little things like that, I think that would, would be a good thing for a lot of fighters that end up signing with Dana White. Because I'm sure you know there's a whole group of fighters that might not be with a promoter, might not be happy right now, that will probably be more than willing to at least take a chance with Dana
0: White. Hey, we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. Yeah, we're going to touch on that the next episode. So, last few things Kovalev, Canelo, who and why? You know, giving an
1: early prediction here, we're about, I think we're about a month away, right? Uh, I think that fight's November 2nd. uh, It's October 2nd as of this recording. So, you know, right now, I'm actually going to go with the bigger fighter. I'm going to go with Kovalev and this one um, by decision. Um, I, I'm thinking that in the biggest fight of his career, um, I, I'm thinking that Kovalev will fight strategically, kind of how he did with Hopkins. Although uh, Hopkins, <laughs> you know, Hopkins is almost 50, but still, you know, I, I think that Kovalev will be smarter. I think he'll utilize his jab. I think one thing that he should take from the Andre Ward fights, which, You know, honestly, he didn't do that against Anthony Yard. So he he might not, you know, you just don't develop this. If he learns how to clinch, that could be the difference in in winning that fight because when he, Canelo's going to get up close, Canelo's going to land body shots. Um, If he's able to clinch on the inside and hold Canelo and kind of stop his momentum from going off, because one thing also that people forget about canelo is that as far as combination punching is concerned he's one of hey, the best he puts those punches together beautifully yeah. some it, it, one of the best examples and i know this guy you know recently just came back um against peter quinn alfredo angulo go back to that fight some of the combinations landed were you know first of all they were they weren't predictable number one and two all of them just just came perfectly executed as well. They were
0: sharp punches. Is Let's what I'm be trying honest to say. though, Angulo is not the no 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 not at all not at all. <laughs> he, just, he doesn't have hand no. speed uh, of the gods. No, you know? no. I mean, um, he, you know,
1: shout out to Angulo, but you know, we know he where his levels at, but
0: he's limited. You know,
1: very tough fighter. You know, and I, I'm you know speaking of him, I'm very surprised he um you know made that comeback against Peter Quillin. You know, I was happy to see that. Um, you know. I,
0: I thought it was Quillen beating himself more than Angulo beating yep. Quillen. I, I thought been. that. Um, and and I think Quillen thought the same thing, that he could have done more. But he's another one of those fighters that's just not that active. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, he, he doesn't stay active, and, you know, that's what happens. That's when, the
1: story of this era, man.
0: You when know. you're out of the ring, it's it's very, very tough. The And he's, what, 36? 37? Yeah.
1: I I would love, um, you know, to get a, you know, when we get somebody uh, in in studio to interview, you know, over the next uh, few episodes, I want to ask them how they feel about uh, the activity because I know a lot of fighters, they might feel that, hey, they they stay in shape, they keep sparring, they stay in the gym. Maybe they don't feel like they need to fight a couple times a year or more than two times a year. But, you know, other guys, I, I feel like, you know, a lot of guys are iron sharpens iron. And, you know, a lot of guys have plateaued. I feel their development because they don't fight often enough.
0: Yeah. Uh, hey, I mean, why don't we ask Kid Chocolate? Yeah. You know what? I'm yeah. I'm going to give him a call. And for the next episode, if we can get him, I'll, I'll we'll ask him that question. I mean, yeah. why not? We're talking about that fight. Why not get his thoughts on exactly what that did or if he felt like that did anything and maybe even encourage younger fighters to to look at it, you know, and and develop their strategy based on on that, because he's a really good dude. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. But, um, you know, we're going to gonna wrap things up here for the first episode of the Front Proof Nation podcast, um, you know. Go ahead and give us a follow at uh, Front Proof Media at on our, uh, IG and IG, Twitter. Twitter, Facebook as well. You know, give Joseph a follow at his page, just Front Proof. Give me a follow at Hector Graham on IG and Mr. Franco on uh, Twitter as well, you know any fan questions or any questions at all you guys have for us, you know, any ideas for the podcast, you know, if anybody, you know, wants to know how to call in and ask questions or ask questions that they want answered on any future podcast, you know, shoot a message our way.
0: Yeah. Get your behind on the show. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah. You can DM us, IG at Frontproof media. You can also send us a direct message on Twitter, as he mentioned, uh, at front proof media as well. Um, Frontproof media on facebook also um if you got specific questions or anything you can always email us yeah at yeah. editor at com. we'll be happy to answer your questions um some of which we'll choose to answer online yeah. or, or on the podcast Absolutely. rather and uh we look forward to to building a polished product in terms of the podcast. This is a new platform for us. Yeah. Um, something we've been looking to tackle for quite a while. We've been on other podcasts. Shout out to the standing eight podcasts. We've been on there multiple times. We love those guys. Yeah. Um, and just want to, Circle back around and give a, a major shout out to Jose Miranda, yeah, Front Media photographer, one of the best in the sport. Make sure to give no him question. a follow, JMJ Cinematics um, on Instagram. Um, we're going to go ahead and cut this here. Uh, we thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back two weeks, episode two.
1: Yes, sir. Frontproof Nation, baby.